I'm Lake Miller, and I'm here with Emma Scovel. Welcome to Jim City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area. We are from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity and inclusion. This season, we are diving into discrimination in Dayton. Today's episode is on housing discrimination in Dayton. So I want to start today by talking about historic records. So really, these concrete facts that kind of start to set the scene of of how housing discrimination has taken place in Dayton. So looking to start out with at these insurance risk assessments that are are really honestly quite disturbing. They were very, a very interesting find, and I didn't know if we were going to be able to find them. Um, they're from the 1930s, I believe, after um, the insurance company created a map, uh, a redlining map, where they outlined the different neighborhoods that were t- uh, risky lending areas, and they classified them as A, B, C, and D. And we have some... We pulled some of the risk assessment forms for neighborhoods that are classified as D, and they were kind of disturbing to look at what they wrote. Yeah, absolutely. So these risk assessments took place on August 26th, um, 1937. So back in 1937, they evaluated basically every single neighborhood. So it's this huge, long list of all of these risk assessments. So we chose a few, and, and most of them had some very consistent consistent themes. Mm -hmm. So basically, the risk assessment at the top is broken down by favorable incomes or favorable influences and detrimental influences. So most of these favorable influences included things like transportation's good, there was good schools, good playgrounds, there was a newer section of housing. Um, So a lot of these favorable things that today still might be favorable influences on our houses. And then most of these detrimental influences had to do with race. So for example, One of them that we have pulled out here, the only thing that they have as detrimental is that this area is surrounded by the colored section of town. Mm -hmm. And another one says the only detrimental influence it lists is necessary to travel through colored section to get to it. Yeah. So you go down further on these forms, and there was literally a section that said infiltration, Mm -hmm. colon, and they were supposed to write if there was an infiltration of something. And if you go through these forms, most of them had one word, infiltration of Negroes. Mm-hmm. So these were these things that were, were driving these people's security score up. So they were saying, you know, now instead of being an A property, this is now a D property because yes. you have to go through the colored section. This is a, a risky investment because the Negroes are moving in, as they would, they would have said. Um, there was even a section on these forms that said, blacks question mark like yes. are there black people living in this section and they'd say yes or no and then what maybe even was more disturbing is then it would say what was the percentage change right was it increasing was it decreasing and depending on if it was increasing or decreasing it changed the letter score it was given absolutely so this is kind of setting the scene for a huge problem in Dayton that honestly is leaving effects still today you know this was oh, 1937 sure, yeah. and I think still probably all of these things are are holding true, obviously not in this language and it's not causing the same issues, but it's really caused an issue where now these areas are segregated. And because of these risk assessments that affected the loans in the area, we're still seeing ultimately those same things today. Yeah. So if you look at the map that um, from 1937, almost all of the D-class neighborhoods are on the west side of Dayton across the river. And if you look at the neighborhoods today, 
um, the majority black neighborhoods are all on the west side of the river as well. So this segregation holds true today. And they were allowed to do this, right? Yes. It was um, the only place that they could really... Yeah, so it was legal until 1968 with the Fair Housing Act that um, outlawed housing discrimination on the basis of race, sex, national origin, and religion. But there's not any federal enforcements in place that make sure that people do not sell or that they cannot write into housing contracts that you cannot sell to certain um, races, religions, stuff like that. So um, that's what was going on that allowed this. And originally, the only places that didn't have in their contract that you couldn't sell to African-Americans were places on the west side of the river, which is why the segregation happened. Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting. You know, it seems... Obviously, it's become illegal. It's become looked mm-hmm. down upon. But still, this is happening in different forms. So one of the biggest forms that this happens is is loans, right? It's just yes. getting the money mm-hmm. to literally buy a house. Now, I thought it was interesting in 2016, um, looking at West Dayton, like the number of loan applications that went in. So I'm trying to find the actual statistic. So looking back at the Westwood neighborhood, for example, out of 44 loan applications in that area, 38 were denied. Huge. I mean, that's a enormous rate right. of decline. For sure. And that was just in 2008 alone. And so really, you know, this is not only not allowing a person to get a house, but it's also driving down the entire value of those properties there. You know, if these oh, individuals yeah. can't go and get loans, first of all, a lot of these individuals aren't even trying to get loans. Because they think they're going to be denied. And then those who are doing it are still being denied. Um, So really that's driven down to an enormous rate, that property value in that area. For sure. And you can see that individuals are stopping applying for loans because in 2016, there was only six loan applications in that same neighborhood, which is a huge decrease from 44. And of those six, two of them were denied. So we're still seeing large uh, percentages of the loan applications being denied. And this is all a part of the reinforcing cycle that it's creating. You won't lend in an area. And since you won't lend in the area, the area gets worse, meaning you're still not going to lend in the area. So how can these neighborhoods get better if we won't give them any loans? Absolutely. And so ultimately, they they did redlining, you know, mm-hmm. and, and redlining quite, quite simply is they would draw a red line around an area and say, we're not going to give a loan to somebody in that area because it's too risky. Right. And... What we've seen historically is that redlining happens in places that are black. Yes. And I think in Dayton it said that there were 20 areas that were told to not loan to. And out of those 20, 14 of these were predominantly black communities. Five of them were predominantly white communities. Yes, that is correct. And this was from a study done um, sometime in, I believe it was... 2016. So what they did is they did a study of um, different metro areas around the U.S. to see where minorities were being denied mortgage loans at higher rates than their white counterparts. And Dayton was one of the 61 metro areas that the study um, found was denying minorities mortgage loans at higher rates. And it was the only city in Ohio that was flagged by this study. In 2016, black applicants in the Dayton metro area were 2.1 times as likely to be denied a conventional home mortgage as white applicants, even when you control for things such as income, loan amount, and neighborhood. So that's very disturbing when you look at that. That is almost certainly um, based on race, why these people were denied. Yeah, so I want to go back over that. So 
even when accounting for those factors like income. So mm-hmm. this is really highlighting the issue that it's it's not that these uh, these people are you know not making the money mm-hmm. or not doing these right. things. It's regardless of those factors, they're just not loaning to the, to these black individuals in 2016. This right. is not a statistic no. from the 1930s anymore. No. This is three years ago. For sure. And I want to note that they can't they couldn't control for individual credit stores scores because they're not publicly available. But even putting that in, they're controlling for income, they're controlling for loan amount, and they're controlling for neighborhood. And neighborhood is really where you see a lot of this like race-based separation and segregation. So is this an issue that is unique to Dayton? You know, we hear a lot about it here in Dayton, but but what does this look like on a more national scale? Well, I don't think that housing segregation or redlining is unique to Dayton. You see this all over the place. Like in the study, there were 61 metro areas where the same sort of loan denying was occurring. Um, I think it might look different in different places just based on their histories and stuff like that, but it's certainly not limited just to Dayton. Absolutely. And so in 2017, the 24-7 Wall Street um, produced a list of the top 16 most segregated cities in America. Dayton happened to have been number 15 on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at this, they came up with the statistic. They said about 62.8% of the population lives in neighborhoods that are predominantly made up of their own race. So a huge percent of these people are living in predominantly black or predominantly white locations. Um, in Dayton, it happens to be that West Dayton kind of became that very centralized black location. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think is very much inspired by that redlining, is inspired, um, you know, by those reports that we read about at the very beginning. For sure. And this isn't just in 2017. In 2010, when a list came out, Dayton was the 14th most segregated city with a metro population of over 500,000. Two-thirds of Dayton's metropolitan area black population would have to relocate in order to be distributed equally with whites. So that's crazy. Yeah, I could not believe that when I read that. I mean, that's enormous. For sure. Like, that's not just, oh, you know, there's a couple neighborhoods that a lot of people of the same race live in. No, this is almost all the neighborhoods are like that. So we did try an interesting experiment where we Googled West Dayton, right? The simple term of West Dayton. And I actually pulled a quote. So West Dayton, the first thing that you'll find when you search West Dayton is TripAdvisor. So Mm -hmm. the first result in the entire list is, quote, where not to go in Dayton. It's very clearly that you're not supposed to go to West Dayton. And you can kind of draw, I don't know, like, draw it back to race is why this is happening. Yeah, so if you read further into TripAdvisor, the second result on here um, has an individual who said, quote, the west side of town is primarily poor blacks, the east side is primarily poor whites, Centerville, Beaver Creek, Kettering, and Oakwood are the wealthier white communities. And when you read that, it has almost the exact same languages as one of the other um, kind of these land loan um, applications that we had read earlier. So Mm -hmm. there's another third application here, one of these risk assessments, um, for clarifying remarks that says, quote, entire area built up with poorly constructed buildings and shacks, and it goes on to say, very poor class of white intermingling with Negro. Very similar to these things that are still happening on TripAdvisor, right? And this item shows up higher on Google than let's say, the Wikipedia page for West Dayton or any news articles about great things happening in West Dayton 
literally that first thing that pops up is don't go here. This is one of yes. the places in Dayton that you don't want to go. I even saw people posting on that saying, you know, there's dangerous places in every city. This is the dangerous place. Don't go to the nightclubs here. Um, someone said there's shootings in the bars every single night here. Like these, this is the language that people are using to describe this area in Dayton. And I think going back to when we were talking about nationally, this is sort of the language you see nationally about areas like that. Like in Chicago, it says don't go to the south side. And you see a lot of similar language um, like we saw with West Dayton with the south side of Chicago. So people have gotten in somewhat of trouble due mm -hmm. to these issues. So in 2016, the Department of Justice accused Union Savings Bank um, and the Guardian Saving Bank of redlining in Cincinnati, Dayton, Columbus and Indianapolis, so these kind of metropolitan hubs in this area. Um, so it alleged that the bank only had location in locations in predominantly white suburbs of Dayton. Um, you know, kind of this strategic idea, and it was only advertising in those white locations as mm -hmm. well, trying to keep those black individuals in Dayton from even trying to apply or even having the ability to apply for a loan um, from them. So they did kind of come up with an agreement um, the bank supposedly trained their employees on credit need assessments and um, kind of these these issues to help try to meet the needs in the Dayton area, as well as they were responsible for to donating $750,000 to groups that were promoting homeownership within Dayton and those other communities. They also opened new branches in minority neighborhoods to kind of combat the fact that they only had branches in predominantly white suburbs. Um, so they also in addition, mm -hmm. kind of got rid of this minimum loan limits that they had on a lot of their loans, um, which tried to help unincentivize lending to only white people. For sure. So there was kind of a tie of wealth to race. So the richer you were, the more likely it was you could apply for these loans because you needed to, the original minimum was kind of high. So it was difficult for some people to apply. And so then you were already making it so it wasn't possible for African-Americans in a lot of times to apply for these loans. For sure. So Dayton Daily News kind of reported on the values in here and said, quote, West Dayton has 1.78 times as many affordable housing units as the rest of the city and 8.2 times as many um, as all of Montgomery County. 8.2 times as many affordable units is uh, that's, I mean, that's a lot. I know. And the West Side housing stock had some of the lowest value in the entire region. So there you can see there's something really bad going on here. So this has kind of contributed to more economic decline in this area. You know, For as sure, the yeah. house values go down, as you're driving in um, these kinds of things, the neighborhoods have started to reflect this. So mm -hmm. we've created one of the biggest food deserts in West Dayton. So unfortunately... Aldi left the West Dayton in 2018, and Food for Less burned down. So these two kind of tragic things have created this place where a majority of the residents in these communities live more than one mile away from a grocery store. And I don't know, have you ever had to walk to get your groceries before, Lake? Never. So this past summer, I was living in D.C., and I had to walk to get my groceries, and the closest grocery store was half a mile away, and the next closest was about 0.9 miles away. And that was a hard walk to make every week and then walk back with your groceries. So I can't imagine having to walk over a mile to get your groceries. And I was just trying to feed myself, not a whole family, which means I had even less groceries than a lot of these people would have. Absolutely. You know, and from my perspective, it's hard to see more than a mile being mm -hmm. a restrictive factor as somebody who has, you know, two cars in the family. But a lot of these individuals, 
Maybe they have one car and that's with someone at work, or maybe they have no form of transportation. They rely on public transit, or maybe they can't even afford to get into public transit. And this really becomes a restrictive factor. I had somebody in a presentation one time really put it in perspective for me, and they said, imagine you know, you are a parent, you have your three children, you have to walk two miles to get to the grocery store. So it takes you, you know, with two children, maybe an hour or two to get there. You buy your groceries, you're carrying back an entire week or maybe two weeks of groceries in your hands while you're also trying to carry your children, try to keep your children on the sidewalks, out of the road. And then you have another two hour walk back and all of a sudden just going to the grocery store turns in it into your basically your full day activity. You know, this is what you spend your entire day doing, and it, it's exhausting. It's mm-hmm. a lot of work to get there. And I think that really puts into perspective this the scale of this problem. Right. Right now, all they have over there, for the most part, is Dollar Trees and Dollar Stores. And while there are food at the Dollar Tree, not the General Dollar and stuff like that, it's not very high quality, and there's not a lot of options. You can't get fresh produce or anything like that there. Right. And there's certainly a difference between a a full-service grocery store Mm -hmm. in Dollar General. And, you know, for me, Dollar General is a great place to go when I forgot that I needed rice Mm -hmm. and it's across the street. Right. But it's not a great place to to go when I'm trying to have an equally balanced diet and I'm trying to get the nutrients that I need in my body. And and certainly those things you can't get at Dollar General. I actually remember very distinctly, I grew up in, in Yellow Springs and clearly a different situation, but I remember the owner of Dollar General looking to me, I was looking to buy lemons. And he looked to me and he said, our stores don't sell anything that don't contain sugar. Right. And that, that stood to, you know, stood out to me as I continue to look at these problems that the places that these people have to shop, the places that are available in their communities are providing things that are full of sugar, full of salt, you know, because they have to be able to sit on a shelf Mm -hmm. and they are not getting what they need. And it's possible also you know, fast food all of a sudden becomes one of your other options because it's one of the only things that is close and convenient. And then... It's also cheap as well, which kind of exasperates the problem. Absolutely, right? And then these things lead to further further health problems. Mm -hmm. They lead to increasing obesity rates, um, things of that nature. And obviously, you know, it's an enormous problem in in these areas. There is a glimmer of hope, though. There's a plan to build Gem City Market in... um, Northwest Dayton. And it just broke ground on September 18th, which is really exciting because they've had this plan since 2016. So it's been a long time coming and they're hoping to open in September 2020. So what it's going to be is it's going to be a full service grocery store in Delhi on the 300 and 400 blocks of Salem Avenue. And it's going to be a community-owned cooperative grocery store. So that means it's going to be owned by its workers, its customers, and community supporters, which is huge. These people who are funding it have a say in what's going to be happening and what sort of food and services are going to be provided there, which I think is very awesome. Yeah, definitely. I think for many people, the Gym City Market has been a long time coming. And like you said, it's that glimmer of hope that that things are going to get better, and hopefully we can make that food desert substantially smaller or even eliminate Mm -hmm. that barrier altogether. That would be wonderful for sure. All right. Well, we are going to transition um, to Kayla over here with our diversity highlight. This is Kayla with your Dayton diversity highlight for the week. This week we are highlighting Culture Fest, which just went on September 18th at the University of Dayton. 
So this is an initiative by the University of Dayton. Every single year, students get to come together, try different foods from different backgrounds and cultures, and really just celebrate where they come from and also get to learn about cultures that they've never experienced before. So we just want to shout out the University of Dayton for having this amazing festival that helps students get a little more involved in cultures they've never heard about. All right, thank you for tuning in to Gem City Diversity. Come back and tune in on October 29th for our next episode. For more information on NCCJ and diversity within the Miami Valley, go visit www.nccjgreaterdane.org. Make sure to like NCCJ of Greater Dane on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at nccj underscore of underscore greater underscore Dayton. And follow us on Twitter at nccjdayton. I'm Emma Scoville, and I was joined by my co-host, Lake Miller, and we'll see you next time.